0: If you haven't already done so, uh, you find your outline. If you picked one up on your way in, fantastic. Uh, you can open up your Three Crosses app, and it's right there, right on the front page of the app. You can tap and get involved right with our, our outline today. And take, take your Bibles, and uh hope you get your a physical Bible. If not, you've got an electronic device that has a Bible on it. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 11. So we're going to start today. We're going to be in lots of scriptures this morning. Uh, Matthew 11 if you're using that book rack bible you'll find it on page 1513 Matthew 11 <clears throat> We're in a little mini series calling calling it the uh, transformation journey and this series comes out of a little experience I had this past summer where I took 4 days and went into the Sierras headed to a solo backpack trip and I felt led by the Spirit of God just to take a a little New Testament and and a little moleskin, uh, you know, notepad and just uh, read. And the Lord led me just to read through the Gospels. So I read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in succession order, Uh, And it was just a beautiful experience to me, and I came back from my trip, and I shared a little bit with our leaders what the Lord spoke to me about, and they said, hey, you should spill that out with our church, and so that's what we've been doing, and here's what I observed, I observed a lot of things over those four days, it was a beautiful experience, and let me just say before I jump too far into this, you know, you don't have to spend four days alone in the mountains, you know, to experience an encounter with Jesus, okay? I want to make that really clear. Some people said last week, hey, I don't have time to go four days in the mountains. I, hey, that's not the point, you know? The point is, <laughs> the point is, we all need time with the Lord. We need, we need time daily with the Lord, right? And, and so, it, it's an encounter with Jesus is what, what I'm getting at here. But for me, just having sort of that re-encounter, having a concentrated period of time, just really spoke to me in the Gospels. And, uh, and so we challenged all of you last week. We said, hey, why don't you read through the Gospels over the course of this series? Over four weeks, four Sundays, it's really only three weeks with a few extra days, 24 days, read the Gospels, read all the Gospels. So I gave you a Gospel reading challenge. I think we have them still here today. You can hop in on the challenge starting today. We're finishing the Gospel of Matthew if you've been doing the challenge and then tomorrow we're in the book of Mark and by next Sunday we're in Luke 5. I mean, we're just, we're rolling through this. Now if you think that's a fast pace, somebody sent me an email this week and they said, hey, you know, I got excited about your challenge and so I read today the gospel of Mark, Luke, and John all in one day. I said, wow, let's do that. So, no, I'm just kidding. I said, (laughs) I said, that's fantastic. Now, Now, that's maybe too much of a pace for most of us. But the idea is gospel immersion. Saturate yourself in the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and just see what Jesus wants to do in your life. And what I discovered during those four days of just spending time alone with the Lord and walking through the gospels and spending time with Jesus, there were four things that became so clear to me as I read through, and the, many, many other things, but these are the big rocks of what I experienced. I experienced w- looking at Jesus and seeing his radical discipleship. He never invited people to follow him at a cheap cost. It was always the high bar. It was like if you're going to follow me, you're going to (laughs) die. You know, not a good marketing scheme at all. Jesus did not have a good marketing scheme. He invited people into death. He invited people into self-sacrifice, self-denial. It was not an easy believism. It was not sort of like just come along for the ride, taste a little bit, put a little piece of the pie in, do whatever you want. No, Jesus said if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. I was touched by that, the radical discipleship of Jesus. I was also touched by the amazing love of Jesus. Oh, man, as I read through the Gospels, and we're going to look at that this morning, I was just touched by the amazing love of Jesus. And I was touched by the, the, the miraculous power of Jesus. This is what we're going to look at next week. And then I was also touched by the, the missional focus of Jesus. Those four things, radical discipleship, amazing love, miraculous power, missional focus, those things were like neon lights, in my mind as I was reading through the Gospels and experiencing the life of Jesus. And so I'm trying to pass those on to you a little bit and put a little framework around that. And so so here we go. Today I want to talk about the amazing love of Jesus. And again, the whole point of this is that we focus on Jesus and our lives are transformed. Transformation starts and ends with Jesus. Church does not transform you. Amen? Uh, You know, the people you know don't necessarily transform you. Jesus is transformation power. Jesus is the one that can transform our lives. He can make all things new. And we need to, some of us need to pass through this barrier of religiosity and sort of the, you know, the ritual and all the, the rules and all the engagement of that. And see that awaiting behind all that stuff that we put around is, is a life, is a man named Jesus Christ who is inviting us into relationship with him. And as we read the Bible, that's what we experience. We experience Christ because Christ is the focus of every page of the Bible. You know, this week we're celebrating, you know, uh, the Reformation. You know, if you're following that, if you follow those, you know, 500 years since Martin Luther pinned his 95 thesis on Wittenberg's door in Germany and and you know i don't know if you're into that or not but the point is one of the things that luther did in the reformation was he reintroduced to the people of god the book the bible because on the pages of the bible is the salvation that god has offered to us captured on every page In every word of Scripture is this beautiful picture and offer of salvation. God offers us salvation, and and, and it comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ that can only be found in the Scripture. God reveals to us who Jesus is through the Scripture, and this is what Martin Luther did. He introduced God's people to the book, reminding us that it's not papal authority, it's not bishops, it's not uh, the church dogma, it is the Word of God. There's a, by, the, by the way, there's a class in our church right now that's studying the, uh, Martin Luther's life. It's called Table Talk. I was just talking to Randy upstairs here, and I just throw it out to you because they've moved locations. They used to be in this little room over here. Now they're in a bigger room upstairs in the D-Wing, D1, and uh, so there's room to grow. And it's a multi-generation class, and it's called Table Talk because, Randy said, we sit around the table and talk. And what the, the topic is, is is Luther right now. So, and I didn't even mean to say that, and I've taken a lot of time with that. Didn't mean to do that either, but here we are. So there's this sweet spot. You know, I was struck too. (sighs) The last verse of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, I'm writing to you, all of you who have an undying love for Jesus. The church at Ephesus was a church that loved Jesus with an undying love. You read through the New Testament, you come to Revelation 2.4, and you have Jesus Christ saying something about the church at Ephesus. And he says, you're an amazing church. You have orthodoxy, you're busy, you're doing all these great things, but I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. Revelation 2.4. And I, I think there's people here today, and I've seen pockets in my life where I've left my first love. I want to have an undying love for Jesus? And yet somehow life gets too busy. I get into forms and rituals, and I just start going through motions, and I lose my what Jesus wants in my life The greatest command to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment. And sometimes, watch this, sometimes we focus so much on the great commandment we don't understand what motivates that. Here's what motivates the great commandment. Are you ready for this? What motivates me to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love my neighbor as myself, what motivates me is to know the love of Jesus in my life. And some of us, we've got... Such a low framework of feeling loved by Jesus. We don't know what it means to love Him back. It, it, that's this is why love is so transformational. Jesus' love is so transformational because when you know you're loved by Jesus, you want to love Him back. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. You know, we sang a little song when we were kids. I was thinking of this when the kids were singing, "Jesus loves me. What this I know." For the Bible tells me so. Now that's great. We all know that. Most of us know that little song. But you know, actually as I think about that song, I think it's wrong in some ways. Because it's one thing to know that you're loved by Jesus because of what's in the book. The book tells me that Jesus loves me. Great. But what about experiencing the love Jesus has for us? Oh. And I just feel like a lot of people I talk to, and again, I'm talking to myself here too, a lot of times I feel like we're just, you know, we're saying stuff that we know is true, we're saying stuff that we believe is true, but we're not really experiencing the stuff that we believe is true. And the one thing that happened to me that that I have to say was such a fresh awakening for me was these four days of just spending time with Jesus in the Gospels, and I just felt so loved. I mean, I I get a little emotional thinking about it. I can't even describe it. I mean, there were were moments reading my Bible, sitting out there just thinking and and meditating and and coming across some of the stories we're going to look at briefly this morning and just starting to weep. Just thinking, this is the way Jesus loves me? I mean, it's one thing when people tell you that they love you. It's another thing when you experience their love. There's something about their touch, their, their life that just touches you, and whether that's a, in a marriage context or, and or a family context and or a brother or sister in Christ context, it's just beautiful to be loved and to know you're loved. And that's why all of what we do around here at Three Crosses is important because we really want people to not just know about the love of God, we want people to experience the love of God. Okay, so with that, and I've gone way too long. Let me look at the time. Okay, here we go. Um, I want to show you six things. When I read through the Gospels, six, thing, six indicators that, that show me, that help me experience the love of Jesus, okay? Six things. You go, oh, man, six things. How is Larry going to get through that in this amount of time? Six things. Well, let me tell you, three things are going to be very textual. We're going to look right in Scripture. We're going to bounce around a lot of Scriptures in the Gospels. Three of the six are textual. Two of the six are kind of inference. I'm just going to suggest them to you. They kind of hit me like a whoa, okay? But we're not going to chapter and verse it. I'm just going to kind of, and you'll see what I mean by that. And the last one is just overwhelmingly obvious all the way through, okay? And we're going to finish that last one, number six, with taking communion together. And it will match what we talk about in number six, okay? So, if you're taking notes, six things, six reminders, six elements, six indicators of Jesus' love for us. Number one, Jesus welcomed the opportunity to hang out with anyone. Say the word anyone. Anyone. I love this about Jesus, don't you? In Matthew 11, where we start today, uh, there's this picture. uh, (laughs) Jesus says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved by her actions. What is Jesus talking about here? What's going on here? What's going on here is in the context Jesus is pointing out that among the religious leaders, John the, Bapti- John the Baptist was criticized for his ascetic lifestyle. Ascetic meaning he disconnected with culture. He disconnected from sinful people. You wouldn't see John the Baptist hanging around with sinners. He disconnected. He didn't eat or drink in a sense of, of fellowshipping with, with people or, or all kinds of people. He had a very strong ministry. He was ascetic, meaning he stayed away from, he distanced himself, and the religious leaders criticized him for that. And then Jesus comes along and he does the opposite. Jesus mingles with sinners. He eats and drinks with sinners He hangs out with sinners, and Jesus says of the religious leaders, and they say, I also have a demon, or I do my things by the power of of, uh, Beelzebul. He says, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is saying, you criticize John because he separated himself from sinners. You criticize me because I connect with sinners. Which way do you really want it? See, this is what, religion gets really messy because religion is confused. Religious people are confused. They get it all backwards. Everything's backwards. But Jesus comes along and he blows away the religious leaders because he, he connects with sinners. And by the way, look around. This is the beautiful thing about the church. Look around. Just look around right now. We've got all kinds of people in this room today. We've got, we've got old people. We've got young people. We've got, we've got people of color. We've got People of uh, different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds were all wearing different kinds of clothes. Some people I saw this morning in a suit and a tie. Some people are more casually dressed. We're all, we're just this, this emb- I love how our pastor of men's ministry and discipleship, Pastor Mark Tyler, Mark Campbell, he talks about when we gather together, he says, look at around. He goes, we're all cops, and, we're the cops and criminals here. You know, and so he <laughs> kind of gives like the, this picture of, you know, and he calls us all pirates because we're all just so... You know, we're all so individual and different. But this is the beauty of the body of Christ. The beauty is in its color. The beauty is in its diversity. The beauty is in all different shapes and sizes. But we all come to the same Lord, and we submit ourselves to the, to the same Lord. We don't hold on to our identity. We don't make our identity the thing that makes us who we are. Our identity as the body of Christ is in Jesus And so he's the one that we come to worship together today. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. And by the way, this is the same because Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we come today to a Lord, to the Lord Jesus, who welcomes everybody anyone to come and begin following him and as we begin following him he changes things in our lives he transforms us he shows us things that need to be changed he reveals sin to us he reveals that we can't stay in comfortable places where we once were but jesus welcomes people of every background to come and experience his life and his transformation right this is the lord jesus and he was so beautiful in this. And by the way, let me just give you a couple things. I won't take a lot of time here. But if you could dig down, drill down a little bit uh, further, uh, just if you're taking notes, Jesus takes time to connect with extremely religious and or influential people. I mean, you see this with the life of Nicodemus, John chapter 3. He was one of the ruling uh, elders of the Jewish people of the Sanhedrin, a company of 70 and the high priest, uh, very high up group, and here was Nicodemus. And then you've got uh, guys like uh, Simon in Luke chapter 7, who is a Pharisee. Jesus hanging out with Simon. And then you've got the rich young ruler in Matthew 18, Uh, We don't really know much about his background, but he was influential. He had a lot of money, a lot of clout. And Jesus doesn't have any problem hanging out with, talking with, conversing with. He's very comfortable around everybody. And that's what's beautiful about Jesus. He doesn't hold himself back from anybody. Secondly, Jesus isn't offended to connect with people whose lives have sort of a questionable or sordid reputation. And we see that. There's, In fact, if you have your Bibles, quickly go to uh, Luke chapter 7. We need to drop into some of these texts because they're so beautiful. In Luke 7, you've got actually a religious person and a person with a, a, a reputation that is, is questionable right in the same space. And Jesus is having a meal with Simon in, in Luke chapter 7. And... Um, Verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Look at how comfortable Jesus is. He's going to go to this religious leader. He's going to sit back and have a little meal together. Verse 37, and a woman who lived in a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him, At his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You could just see him melting down. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, he has something I have something to tell you, Simon, and he tells this story about two people that had a debt and one had a huge debt one had a little debt and at the end he asked the you know that both were debts were canceled and he says which which do you think loved the person who forgave them more? The one that had a big debt or little debt? And he said, well, the one that had the big debt canceled. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Verse 44, and then he turns to this woman and says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, since the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been given, forgiven little loves little. In other words, he's saying to Simon, Simon, do you realize the forgiveness of God for your life? You see, here's the problem. Most of us think that we're just little sinners compared to all those sinners that are out there. <laughs> you know, we feel like we, we are like, we're just fractionally off, But if you, really, if you really saw the heart of God for people, he, we would see how dreadfully off all of us are. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what sin you committed. We're all, we all come to the foot of the cross the same. Even religious people, the same. And until we realize what we've been forgiven, how do we love much? And so, I see that. Uh, A third thing I see, Jesus even goes out of his way to connect with irreligious and immoral people. I think of the Samaritan woman in John 4. Here was an immoral woman. She lived with men. She was, the man that she was with was not her husband. And Jesus just tenderly, lovingly connects with this woman. He connects with a woman, uh, with a Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, um, who just, you know, he comes to Jesus. This Roman guard comes to Jesus. Jesus, the one whom I love is sick. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. I mean, just you just see Jesus getting up. Where, where is he? Let's go. I mean, this is the way Jesus was. It didn't matter who you were. Religious, influential, immoral, suspiciously, you know, uh, reputation of suspicion. This is the way Jesus was. So before we move off of that point, I want to just challenge all of us. You know, uh, we should learn how to love the way Jesus loves. And so we should practice. This is a good place to practice it, how we treat each other. You know, because people come in. There's guests here among us this morning. Praise God. Thank you for coming today. And if you're here today and you're kind of checking things out, you know, you're, I guarantee it, they're looking at us. How do we treat each other? How do we get out of our parking lot? Simple things. (laughs) You know, the people that live on John Drive, they're watching us too. We let people out of their driveways. No, no, I got to get to lunch. Let me through. (laughs) We walk past people, people that are not like us. Do we not give them the time of day? You know, we have a homeless ministry. We serve food every Sunday morning to a group of people that don't have a roof over their head. And they wander into our church. Sometimes there are people that come into our church, whether they're homeless or not, who have mental issues, mental diseases, mental illnesses. And they don't know social etiquette. And sometimes we, you know, are like, you got to fit in here. If you're going to fit in here, you got to do this. You gotta... And I, hey, there should be Order. I'm not suggesting there shouldn't be. But I'm saying, is there, is there such a saturation of love in this place that people feel when they are instructed in, a, in an orderly way? Is there such a sense that I, I'm going to follow that because I know one thing. I don't understand what that person's asking me to do, but I understand this. They really love me. There's a difference. A second thing I see in Jesus is that he was uncondemning toward others. With the exception of a certain kind of person, okay? So just follow me on this. You talk about love. Can you imagine what it would be like to be around someone who never puts anyone down, no condescending remarks, no jokes about people, not judging people for where they've been in their life or where they might even presently be? In fact, His teaching, if you want to write this down, his teaching focused on treating others, even enemies, with love, dignity, and respect. If you're in Luke chapter 7, just go back to chapter 6 for just a minute because I was struck when I saw this in Luke 6, verses 27 and following. Jesus says, "I, I I tell you who hear me Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on your cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop them from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Wow. Is that the way we live our lives? I mean, focus in on that last verse, do to others as you would have them do to you that's a radical command I mean this is the radical nature of Jesus love he says this is how we love each other we show no retribution when we are pushed doesn't mean we can't protect ourselves although sometimes we don't do that either but Jesus says we don't retaliate we don't seek revenge we don't one up people on the bad stuff that they do to us that's not our message. That's not who we are. We are soft. We are crushable. We are not indig- indignant. Our attitudes are not easily pushed to the, to the, uh, to the white hot flame of, of anger. We are slow in our anger. We model patience and endurance. And, and let's be honest. Larry Vold, We I struggle in this. We all struggle in this because this, this is the way Jesus lived, and he's calling us into a life of his kind of life, and we need his power in us next week. We need the miraculous power alive in our lives to live the life that Jesus has called us to live, and by the way, that comes through a relationship with Jesus. When you invite Jesus to be your Savior, when you confess that you're a sinner, he takes up residence in your life, and so you cannot live the Christian life if you don't have Jesus in your life. And there are a lot of, this is what religion, religious people try to live the Christian life without Jesus. And it just, it's sterile and it's hard. And it's, it's, you know, love them with a brick, you know. It's like, it's just, it's, it's harsh. The tone is not right. But you look at Jesus and, and I think of John 8, 11, where he even defends someone caught in the crosshairs of human judgment And sinful action, he defends someone. Remember the woman caught in adultery. And it's familiar enough to, let me just key in on verse 11. I love what Jesus says to her after her accusers leave, when Jesus says, okay, let's stone her. You're right, the law calls for stoning. So whoever has not sinned, pick up the first stone. And everybody goes, oh, you know, that puts a new light on things. So they all leave. And I love how Jesus kneels down to this woman and he says, we'll put it on the screen, verse 11, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Now listen, um, Jesus is not wishing to nullify justice or cheapen the weight of transgressions. Sin is important. It's an important issue that needs to be dealt with in our lives. And Jesus, we're going to learn this morning in a minute, just for a minute, that uh, Jesus is going to be very clear on sin in our lives. He's not wishy-washy. But I love the fact that he's not condemning sin. It's like we treat our sin, our own sin, with more condemnation than Jesus does. Some of us, I'll tell you why I know that, because some of us, I talk to people on a regular basis who are carrying around sin five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, five days ago. And I know when it's fresh, it feels, and we ought to feel when we've been in a season of sin in our life, and we repent of that sin, and we come before God. But listen, when we come before God, we should trust His forgiveness is complete, we are perennially, perennially forgiven because we are under the blood of Jesus. It's not like we're not forgiven because we sin today and we haven't asked for forgiveness yet. First John tells us that we are perennially forgiven because we are in the blood of Christ. His, his blood is over the mantle of our hearts. But we confess our sins, 1 John nine. Because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess because we're agreeing with God. Oh, I agree, God. I'm a sinner. That's what confession is. And we need to be confessing all the time. But if I forget to confess my sins today and I die, I don't go to hell because I didn't confess my sins today. I'm forgiven in Christ. And I should trust his forgiveness. And you know you're loved when you know you're forgiven. Some of us are carrying around this weight this morning. It's so heavy. We bring it to church. We bring it to work. We take it into home, our homes. And we're carrying it around. We're trying to make up for it. We're trying to do good things. And we're trying to cancel the debt. We're not trusting the love of Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and live a different life. Live a life of freedom. Live a life of holiness. Of holiness. And yes, you're going to sin. You're going to find yourself back in sin. Don't you wait to, Don't you look forward to the day when sin will no longer be? I do. Yes. But that day, you know, we get little wisps of it when we realize the beauty of his forgiveness and the joy of his love and that there's nothing between us and God. Now, I said as uncondemning as Jesus comes through the Gospels, there's an exception to this kind of uncondemning spirit that is worth noting. And that is with the kind of person toward whom Jesus makes a much stronger tone. And you know who that person is? A religious hypocrite. Jesus wastes no time, Matthew 23 and other places, where he scathes people who fake it, fake a relationship with God, fake knowing God, fake loving God, using rules to back up their profession of love. And Jesus says in Matthew 21, verse 31, he says, even tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of these kind of folks. Wow. He hung out with anybody and everybody. He was completely uncondemning. Here's a third thing that really struck me as I read through the Gospels, and that is that Jesus was extremely compassionate toward needy people. So compassionate. Oh, my goodness. Three categories I saw quickly. I saw the category of hurting people. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. There's this little Greek word called splagnizomai. It's found many times in the Gospels to define the way Jesus felt toward people in certain circumstances. And you see it come up in a lot of places. It comes up with hurting people. He saw the crowds as harassed and helpless. Some of us are hurting today. He felt this way toward hungry people. Hungry people, physically and spiritually. In John 6, he sees hungry people and he wants to feed them. But then later they come to find him and he says, wait a minute, Uh, you came to me, you come to me again because I fed you with loaves, but there's a kind of food that you need to know about that you're not eating yet, and that's me. You need to eat me, of me. In John uh, 7, he talks about water, water. And in John chapter 4, excuse me, talks about the water that Jesus would give to the woman at the well. You drink of this water and you'll thirst again. That's a a metaphor of spiritual thirst. He says, but if you drink of the water that I can give you, it will be like a well springing up from within. So he had compassion toward the hungry and the hurting, the hungry spiritually and and physically. And he had also compassion, he felt this way toward people who who were needing healing And I'm not going to say much about that, but I I read all through the Gospels how Jesus went to people. The leper in Matthew chapter 8, the woman touching his garment in Mark chapter 5, the blind man in Mark chapter 10, and over and over and over where Jesus actually seeks people out and he he hears them, he he feels the touch of them, and he stops and he turns and he says, bring them to me, and he goes to them, and he's got compassion for people who have needs for healing. And if today you've got a need for healing, he has compassion for you too. He cares about these things. He cares about all these things. And I just was struck by that as I went through the Gospels. He's, a, he's one who shows his love by, by hanging out with anybody and everybody. And he, he takes time to minister to people wherever they are in their lives. And he, and he has extreme compassion for people. And then there's these couple other quick things here. Number four, I love how Jesus took time with people as if to say you were important to me. Now again... I'm just going to inference this, but there's one thing you'll never read in the Gospels. You'll never read the word hurry associated with Jesus, ever. Uh, Lots of other people hurry. Mary, the mother of Jesus, hurried to tell her uh, pregnant cousin Elizabeth about her own news that the angel had brought to her. The shepherds hurry off to Bethlehem to see what it was announced to them, Luke chapter 2. Herodias' daughter hurried into the king's presence when she was told by her mother what to ask for. And even the disciples, the women who saw Jesus first resurrected from the tomb, hurried off to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the grave. But you never read the word hurry with Jesus. Never. I mean, you never hear things like, being in a hurry, Jesus rushed off to the town of whatever. <laughs> or rushing away from there, Jesus, whatever. Or being out of time, Jesus, or worried he wasn't going to finish, Jesus, or in a panic, Jesus took her by the hand. You just don't read that. It's missing. Because Jesus was never in a hurry. And I just touched, was touched by that as I read through the Gospels. I, I'm hurried a lot. I feel Often, I'm in a hurry. Let me ask you a question. Do people near us feel loved when we are rushing by them in a hurry? Does anyone feel loved when people say, ah, yeah, and they move on, you know? (laughs) We got to slow down. Every Sunday, I want you to know it's my prayer. Lord, slow me down. Slow me down. And every day, it should be our prayer. Slow me down. Stop us, Lord. Stop us with people. Another inference I get is that Jesus told the truth. Jesus told people the truth. Talk about love. Again, not really chapter and verse, but did you know that there are 79 times in the Gospels, I didn't count them when I read through the Gospels, but I I researched this. 79 times in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Now, some people in our modern day look at that and say, well, does that mean when Jesus talked and he didn't say that, that he wasn't telling the truth? There's even a book out there, I, I'm discipling a young guy in faith, and he, he, when he read that in the gospel, he goes like, well, wait a minute, There's, and he shows me this book title that, you know, sort of like a way that you can tell when people are lying, when they say, you know, to be totally honest, and they go into something, oh, so I guess they're really not honest in the other stuff they're talking about. Jesus emphasized truth because he was the truth. And he knew that the people he was talking to had been sown lie after lie. We live in a culture of lies. It's thick. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the truth. Every time you see that in Scripture, you can just bank on what Jesus is saying. And even if he doesn't say it, you know if he said it, it's truth. He said he is the truth where Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44. And Jesus is going to tell you the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. You know, like when your friend tells you you got bad breath, you know. Seriously. I remember once I went out to a restaurant on a Saturday night. This was years ago. I come to church the next morning. It was a place called the Stinking Rose in San Francisco. All this garlic. Oh, it tasted so good. And I'm going through, you know, prayer meeting, talking to people. And then I'm, one, I, think, I think we only had one service at the time. And one of our pastors, I won't say who it is, but his initials are Mark Tyler. <laughs> and he comes up and he's standing next to me and he goes, hey, Lair, you need a breath mint. that changed my life it really did I brush my teeth like 50 times a day now it's just amazing I've got what oh thank you someone throws me a little mint that's very nice not very loving but very nice But, you know, your friends tell you stuff like that. You know, have you ever had lunch with somebody and you go back to your car and you look in your mirror and you see, like, you got stuff hanging in your teeth, you know? And the person didn't say a thing. They don't love you that much. Jesus is going to say stuff like, I mean, not your breath smells. He's going to say that that attitude smells. That action's not for you. Clean that up. You can do better. Your life can be better. Stop. Stop doing that. Stop saying that. Stop thinking that. Jesus tells the truth. That's why people tend to stay away from Jesus and his word. (laughs) Because they don't want to hear the truth. Okay. Well, the last thing I wanted to show you that just struck me, and this is like overwhelming all through the Gospels. Jesus sacrificed his very life, and we'll look at this the last week of this series. But uh, you know, in John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, "Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends." Wow. Jesus modeled that, didn't he? He went to the cross. To imagine that someone died for me. Died for me. Sometimes I think about what it looked like to see his gasping breath, the blood pouring down his body, his flesh torn open, and he had me in his mind. Wow. This morning we're going to We're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember that that's what Jesus did for us. And if this morning you've never opened your heart to Jesus, what what are you waiting for? You'll never experience a love like he loves from anyone. You'll look in vain. So come to him this morning and give him your life. You won't hesitate to follow his radical discipleship because you just know how loved you are.